Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Makers Show. So today we have a founder from Brazil. Uh, obviously, exciting market there, explosion of growth also in startups. And I think that we're going to be learning quite a bit about building and scaling a company there uh, and the journey of this founder as well. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Tomas Pecci Martins. Welcome to the show. Hello, Alejandro. It's a pleasure to be here. So originally born in Sao Paulo. So uh, how was how was life growing up in Sao Paulo? Yeah, it was nice. Big city, a huge metropolitan. So it was nice. I I I I've been growing up in here. Um, I I spent all my life in Sao Paulo, and I've seen all the difficulties to commute in the city every day. So I think that was that was something that learned that I, I've learned a lot, and that's the problem I'm trying to address here. Absolutely. And was anyone in your family also an entrepreneur or anyone also like uh, involved with business that maybe you, you saw directly or indirectly? My grandpa. My grandpa is an entrepreneur. My dad is, is a doctor. My, my mom is a biologist. So a little bit different backgrounds. <laughs> a little bit of influence from everyone. So that's, that's good stuff. But I know that at 16, you did an exchange that really implanted the seed of what you guys are doing today with Tembici and, and definitely something that, that changed everything for you. So tell us about this experience in Holland. Yeah. When I was 16, I had the opportunity to do an exchange program and I live it in Holland, in a small city in Holland, in the Netherlands, that called Tilburg. And in that opportunity, um, I use bike every day to commute. And there was something really nice that it really changed my life because uh, was something related to freedom. I could take my bike and go to to the school, uh, to a metro station, to another city. So it was something really nice. And I said, okay, that's that's amazing. I just have one small device here, and I can go uh, wherever you went. I went, and uh, that was something I was thinking all the time. And when I, when I returned to São Paulo and say, guys, why you cannot use bikes here to commute? That's that's something uh, really nice. And uh, for me, it's really related to freedom. Absolutely. And I guess that, as they say, ideas take time to incubate. So before you actually did anything, you know, you 
went back to Brazil, and then you decided to study international relations. So what got you into international relations? <laughs> I think university is something funny, how, to, how you decided that. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> that, Absolutely. For me, it was something because I, I, I like to travel, actually. That's the truth. <laughs> but uh, I, I was like, I, I was always... Um, I, I love what what's happened all over the world and see what, how the, the the countries was being developing the difference between cultures and everything. That was something I was always excited about it. So I decided to do international relations. And uh, when I finalized uh, the university, um, I started to do sustainable projects. I would uh, I'd like to do something. How can we use best practices or, or benchmarks? in uh, sustainable projects all over the world and bring to, to the region, to Latin America. And that obviously got you to connect with your co-founder today, Mauricio. So um, so obviously Mauricio at the time too, you know, he was studying uh, and one of his last projects was uh, doing something around bike sharing and more around, you know, in, with what was involved or happening in Paris and also Lyon where already this bike sharing was kind of booming. So So what happened there? Yeah, Mauricio, my co-founder, uh, he had a double degree in French, uh, and uh, and he saw the first bike share schemes being launched. That time uh, was a project from the co, and he loved it. He said, "That's amazing! You you don't have to own the equipment. You have don't have to own the bike. You just take a bike for a while and go wherever you you want." So when he come back to Brazil. He decided to do his final uh, work in the in the university. Um, he was trying to simulate a bike sharing station uh, in in his fi in final in his final job in the university. And uh, I met him that time. I was um, doing these sustainable projects. I saw that solution. I say, man, that's amazing. Uh, he was also looking for a, a co-founder. And then uh, we we decided to go together. And uh, that was like 2011. And what led you to believe that apply? I mean, obviously, something that was working in Paris and in Lyon. Why did you think that that something like that could could be interesting, you know, to implement there in in South America? There was something something that I was always curious about is why do you have to take like two tons of aluminium to commute up to five miles? It makes no sense. It's not efficient for you, for the cities, for the society. So. That was something I always, after the the, the, the experience that I have in, in, in Holland, that was something I was always thinking about it. Do we have to have a car? When we have, like in Brazil, you have like 18 years old, everyone was dreaming to have a car. And uh, there is something they say, okay, it's, it's good, you can commute, but uh, you don't have to have like two tons of aluminum with you to commute. You can think in, in better ways um, to do that. So. I, when I saw the solutions and the bikes and uh, everything that was happening, uh, uh, that, that was something I was dreaming about, how we could offer for the cities and for our society so smart solutions to commute uh, in, the, in, the, in the short miles. So I think that that's why I decided to jump in in this venture. And this was in 2011, where, when you guys decided to jump in and really start the business. But I assume that uh, with a business of this nature, I mean, the logistics and the maintenance, I mean, it must be very difficult. So what were some of the challenges that you guys were experiencing during the early days? 
the challenge was we have to do everything. Our first project was like 40 bikes in a in a uh, in a small city here in the beach in Brazil, uh, and we spent like one year in this city trying to make work. <laughs> but we were trying to make work everything. We have to produce, assembly the bikes, do the call center, do the financials, <laughs> do the 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 marketing. So it was was a, a, a was a challenge. We we were in a in a four partners uh, that time. And um, we have to do everything, but it was really nice because also we could learn by ourselves what is to do, how, how is to operate a system like this, what the, the users need, what your clients need, what is the challenge on the maintenance and the logistics. So it was something that we really learned it by, by ourselves, doing by ourselves. Got it. And uh, I guess just for the people that are listening, what ended up being the business model of the business? What is the business model? Yeah, so how do you guys, you know, like really make money here and, and how did that business model perhaps evolve to what it is today? Yeah, we had, um, and uh, until now, that's something I think also we learned since the beginning. We always have like two um, revenues, uh, two, two main revenues in this business. Uh, one is sponsorship, uh, so advertising. And the other one is the user revenue. So these two combines our total revenue. Got it. Got it. And obviously, you know, for, for a company like this, I would assume as well that, that you need a little bit of money to execute. So how much how much capital have you guys raised to date for the business that is publicly disclosed? Until now, that is, um, we had like $65 million in equity. Uh, we have more debit. We, we don't disclose this. Uh, but also uh, our business is a little bit different because we have this sponsorship. So with the sponsorship revenue, you can anticipate it uh, or not if you need to finance the capex. So, but the total number is sixty-five million dollars in in equity. And talking about sponsorships, because I know that you know back in around two thousand fourteen, two thousand fifteen, I mean you you guys you know kind of like hit a hit a wall. I mean there was yeah. a, a time where. <laughs> where almost, you know, everything fell apart and, you know, you were very close to not making it. Uh, what happened there? Yeah, I think that's something important when, you, when you're an entrepreneur. You, you always have to believe. And, uh, and I think that that was the lesson in that time. That time, uh, we had a company with like uh, 15 employees. We are cash burning uh, 50 thousand reais per month uh, and uh, we don't have more cash in the bank account so we have like more one month to do to to live actually to survive uh, but that time we had a we always believed that this company could do great things but we always knew that money uh, it's a capex a capex capital intensive company so we, we knew that we, we have to have good contracts to survive. At that time, we were negotiating a contract with uh, with a bank, one of the sponsors, one of our sponsors. Uh, they offered us thirty thousand reais per month to do a new project, but we are cash burning fifty thousand, so the thirty thousand would not make it. But uh, even with that, I say, okay, I want to do this project. Let's see what's happening. We have like thirty days. We have nothing to lose. And then uh, we say, okay, let's let's go ahead. 
And like three days later, the bank called me and said, Thomas, we have something to do here with taxes because of our uh, fiscal year. We're going to pay everything up front. So they pay us 400 reais up front. We say, okay, guys, amazing. Because now we have like more three or four months to survive. So we make it, we survive for more three, four months. But more than that, at that time, last year, 2014, we did like um, uh, 2 million reais in revenue. And after this contract, we make it more 17, 7 million reais in revenue in more two or three months. And one year, one year later, we bought a company that was like 10 times our revenue. So it was really a turning point in the company. We, are, we hit the wall, but I don't know how we cross it. And then we are like one year later, we are the largest micromobility player here in the region. I'm talking about going from breakdown to breakthrough. Wow. <laughs> so, so I guess uh, on that, at that point, like even before, you know, let's say that contract was signed, how many days do you guys have left of, of life, of runway? Less than 30. Less than 30 days. And, and what was going through your mind? How were you able to keep things together? Uh, I, I think I have like two or three times in, the, in, this, in this venture that I didn't sleep. And for sure, that one was one of them. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, when you go through this type of moments, you know, it's, a, it's very easy to go into your own head and start, you know, planning out the what-ifs. And that could be very tricky. Yeah, but again, I never thought that we, we're not going to make it. We're really, we fight hard for this company since the beginning. Come on, we are fighting against the cars in the streets, <laughs> an industry that has more than <laughs> 70 years. So you have to fight for this. You have to believe. Uh, so I, I think uh, that that's our history here. We always, you know, uh, we always fight all the time. And, and even now, we're still fighting because our streets are full of cars with an inefficient way to commute. So that's our history here. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, so obviously here, you guys were able to turn it around. Uh, obviously, you get those contracts. The revenue keeps growing. And then, you know, literally a company. I mean, you at that point, you had about 70 employees. And you had a company with over 400 employees that apparently, you know, you're able to acquire them. I mean, how, how the hell did you do that, Tomas? <laughs> there was an interesting story. But um, uh, the truth is uh, we, we partnered with an investment firm. Uh, they, they, they were looking to invest in this micromobility industry um, and uh, the true way that's our sponsorship they they want to do something new with these bike sharing systems in Brazil so uh, we did this because um, with the sponsorship the contracts in our hands could last more than three or five years and with the other company they would end the contract so uh, that contract in my hand, has a lot of value in their hands, has no value. So because of that, we are able to buy the projects and, and, and acquire the company. And why did it have more value in your hands than maybe the value that it could have had on, on their hands? Was it because of maybe like the distribution or the way that you were looking around logistics or, or why? Uh, because of operations and the equipment. We had a much better technology and a much better uh, operations in logistics and maintenance. And so in the end, it's because our product uh, was much better for the users uh, and for the cities. So because of that. 
Wow. So then, so then obviously, I mean, here you are, 70 employees, acquiring a company that is 400 employees. How do you go about integration, like in a scenario like that? Because obviously, it's not about the acquisition, it's about the integration to really make the deal successful. Yeah, yeah. All the negotiations took like six months up to nine months. So we knew that we would, we would acquire that, that company. So uh, I started to prepare the, the, the company, the management team before. So I hired a good CFO, uh, uh, a head of people. Uh, so I, I started to, to, to hire this because I knew that uh, one more, one, in, in six months we would have this company. So that was something we did. But of course, you can plan in everything. In the, the day one, everything is different. So it's much more... It's, I think that time you have to to react fast and uh, always be transparency because when you're acquiring someone, uh, the company that you're acquiring, everyone is a little bit afraid. And I, I think that the, the lessons we we took is you always have to be transparency. You don't know exactly what's going to happen. But if you if you just show that uh, you are transparency and you are open to change, you have to, to know how to learn with them as well. It's not because you're acquiring that you know everything. So I think that's that's important things to do when you're acquiring someone. We always we also did this one year later. We acquired, we acquired a company in Chile, and I think it was the same thing. Got it. So obviously transparency and communication. Totally, yeah. totally can get that. So so obviously now you know like there's a lot happening around micro mobility. I mean, wh- where do you think that the space you know is heading as a whole? Ah, that's something I think that's more in, that, 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 the most interesting thing in this, in this industry because it's a new industry. So I think here we, we have to understand a little bit about this industry uh, so we can understand the, the future. Uh, when you saw the numbers, you can notice that uh, 70% of the commutes in the cities are less than five miles. So the the addressable market is huge. You have a huge space to occupy with these micromobility solutions. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, what is the best way, the most efficient way to commute up to five miles? Is with a car? No, our streets, they're not, they not support more cars in the streets. Our cities, we cannot support more cars in the cities. So, uh, these new devices, they, uh, they will appear all over the world every year. So that's going to happen. But what is the challenge here? The challenge is you are co- computing with a, your people has to change their habits. They have to change their mind in how to commute in, this, in these distances. So I think that, that, that one, that's one thing. The second thing is, the cities, they have to be more prepared to do this with infrastructure, uh, traffic account poly, uh, initiatives, everything. And the third one, you have to understand that we are, you are competing with a huge industry. The, the, the car industry, uh, they have more than 60, 70 years. They are investing in technology. They have the, the, the infrastructure that uh, is, is made for them. Uh, I, I always like to say th- this number, Alejandro. If you take Sao Paulo, 80% of our infrastructure is made for cars. Are like streets, avenues, big bridges, 
doesn't matter. 20% is for this, the others mobility options, like cycle lines, sidewalks, metro stations, bus stations. But 80% of our commutes are made by these other mobility options and 20% for cars. So you have like 80% of our infrastructures serving 20% of our commutes. That makes no sense. So I think, but you have to understand this. And you have to understand that this is for the long term. You're not going to create a company in one or two years that's going to make it really fast. It's something for the long term. It's a big trend. It's a huge market. But you have to have the right product and you have to have the right business model. So I think all these initiatives that we've been creating all over the world, they're amazing. It's really nice. Everyone's trying, doing their MVP, trying to do, trying to do something new, a, a scooter, a e-bike, a moped, doesn't matter. Of course, you have like two, three years to accommodate the right product, the right business model, and then you start to scale the solution. So I think that's something important to understand in our industry. It is not something that's going to happen in like six months. Ah, you launch a company and then you have a, a huge business. No. You have to partnership with the with the, the municipality. You have to have you have to partnership with uh, good companies, and uh, you have to understand. Have, in, in the end, you have to partnership with the society. The society has to understand that you are providing a better solution for their daily commuters. So it's uh, it's something I think um, it's 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 something you have to to build for the future, but understanding that it's a long term future. Absolutely. And obviously, you know, the traffic in Sao Paulo is pretty insane. So I'm sure that they would, you know, people there would really appreciate what you guys are doing. But here we're talking about like, uh, you know, developing businesses. I, I want to ask you, like, how have you seen the venture world develop uh, in Brazil, you know, over the past couple of years? Because you've been at it now since 2011, where, you know, South America has been very green when it comes to, to startups and, you know, building and scaling companies. And it has come a long way. So, so what can you tell us about this? I think that's a more mature market now. Uh, we had our, our, our record in investments last year. Maybe we're going to have this year again. Let's see how it's going to be this, this pandemic <laughs> period. But uh, I think that's more mature. And uh, for, for us, uh, I, it's funny because that I, in 2014, when I mentioned that history that we almost or we hit the wall, uh, it's funny because we we were trying to fundraise in that time and we received like four or five no's because they say, no, guys, you don't have a business. You're going to hit the wall in like two months. And that was the truth. We almost hit the wall. But uh, right. in that time, people didn't understand so much what is to to, inter to, to be entrepreneurial, how is to do this uh, in, in the region. But now I think that's much more maturity. I think that more than, than money that's that's coming to the business, I think the smart money, it's something we're seeing growing a lot here in the region. So uh, we have here with Valor, Redpoint, uh, much more than the money they bring to the company is the discussions that we have with them, like weekly. They know that what you are, what, what's, what's the problems you are facing and they know how to help. And I think that's something really important for the entrepreneurs. It's not, it's not only the money, but it's, it's this, how they can help you to build and scale uh, the business. 
Absolutely. And talking about scale and, and building the business, you know, for the folks that are listening, like, could you give them like a sense of how big your company is today? Like anything, you know, around maybe like employees or anything, you know, interesting there? Yeah. Uh, we are now the, the largest micromobility company in, in Latin America. Um, we do more than 2 million rides uh, per month with only 16,000 bikes. Uh, so we have operations in Brazil, Argentina, and Chile. Um, in the biggest cities like Santiago, Buenos Aires, Rio, Sao Paulo. Uh, we have revenue for, uh, we don't say exactly the number, but it's more than 100 million reais per year. Uh, and we have more than 800 employees. Wow. So I guess uh, more than 800 employees, you said. Is it 800? Yes, 800. Okay, so... So more than 800 employees. So, so how would you say that you have also grown yourself at the same speed of the growth of the business? Because in many instances, you see founders, you know, that, that you know, are not able to really grow at the same speed. Uh, so, so in this case, how would you say that you were able to really develop yourself, you know, at the same speed with the business world? <laughs> I think that's the biggest challenge, you know. <laughs> that's a good question, Alejandro. Uh, because it's, I mean, like five years ago, I was doing many things in the bike. I was like, <laughs> and now you have to run a company in three different countries with a lot of employees. I think that's no doubt that's that's the biggest the biggest challenge. But again, I think you always have to be transparent. You have always to say what is your limit and uh, show your limit to everyone. So guys, I know this, I don't know this. How can I learn that? Uh, I, I don't believe in this superhero history from everyone. I, I don't think that works. I think that everyone had like, uh, they have their limits. People have their limits and the entrepreneurs the same. So you have to uh, to know your limits, and but you always have to challenge yourself and, uh, and change this with people, with your board members, your partners, uh, your family. And see how can we improve ourselves. I think that's the that's the learns I've been. We are we are not perfect, but we try hard. I think that's the <laughs> the um, that what I, I I'm doing I'm doing this here. I don't know if it's it's right or not, but it's, it's what I'm doing here. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And and I guess uh, imagine you know if you go to sleep tonight, and you know you wake up five years later. I mean unbelievable snooze, right? So you wake up five years later and. And you wake up in a world where the vision of the company is fully realized. What, what, does, what does that world look like? It's like we have a, a, a big avenue here that calls Faria Lima. And the Faria Lima, they have like 80 uh, streets and two cycle lines. So my, I, I always say that it's, it should be the, the reverse, 80 cycle lines for like two-way streets. So I would say that that's my vision. It's to see how we could create a city that uh, the mobility options would be much more efficient for everyone with no gas emissions and that people could uh, spend much less in, to commute and also, um, but also being a fast solution. Got it. And obviously now with the, uh everyone talking about climate climate change, you know, it, it sounds like timing is definitely, you know, like uh, on your back. So uh, so that's good stuff. So I guess, uh, Tomas, I mean, you've been at it now 
since 2011. I mean, talking about like a tremendous amount of experience and, a, and an incredible journey, you know, like full of ups and downs and full of uh, lessons learned. And, you know, one of the questions that I typically ask the guests that come on the show is if you had the opportunity to, to go back in time and, and perhaps, you know, have a chat with that younger Tomas, you know, that younger Tomas that was thinking about maybe launching something, maybe launching a business, a business like, like the one that you've built. I mean, what, what would be that one piece of business advice that you would give to yourself before launching a business and why, knowing what you know now? I think the beginning, um, we are in like four uh, partners, four like founders and co-founders, but we are all the same age. And I never have a sound board member or someone to, to change experience. And uh, that was really painful because I think we passed through things that we could learn with someone that was already there. So try to find someone that can give you an advice or then can be a, 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 a can help you uh, in your challenge. That's something I think would <laughs> uh, it would be the advice I would give to Tomas is man you are you, you are not the um, you are not the you are not a hero. You have to have you have to to ask help for people and have good people around you. I love it. I love it. So, Tomas, for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Just send me an email. <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> and what's the email, Tomas? It's Tomas, T-O-M-A-S dot Martins, M-A-R-T-I-N-S. 10bc.com. Amazing. And are you also active on social media? Yeah, just just add on the LinkedIn. Okay, fantastic. All right, well, Tomas, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. Thank you, Alejandro. It was really nice. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, Share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.